and welcome to the April edition of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Janolfi. And I'm Howard Marlowe. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, thanks very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today uh, for hosting us. Uh, first, we want to talk about uh, how earmarks are playing out this Congress. Talk a little bit about North Carolina, who's having some trouble with their beaches. Uh, National Beach Nourishment Funding and the National Flood Insurance Program. Let's get started. Ready to go. We're all vaccinated here. Yes, we are. Johnson & Johnson here and... Moderna here. All right. President's budget and earmarks first. Um, so while we're waiting for the president's budget to be released in late May, which is what we're hearing, uh, Congress has... Uh, been caught up a little bit with earmarks. So if you hadn't heard, earmarks are back on the House side, at least. Senate hasn't quite made a decision, uh, which will make for an interesting debate with the Senate um, if the House does hold on to them and the Senate doesn't. Absolutely. Um, Confusion will reign. And the House is calling them community project funding requests or community uh, community funding, or just community projects. Um, in essence, instead of earmarks. I guess they're trying to avoid that word. But regardless, the issue is far more complex than just bipartisan support. It seems like pretty much everyone, you know, and their mother and their cousin and their brother is, is looking, for uncles, an, yep. <laughs> looking for an earmark because we've heard that, they, you know, earmarks are back. Everyone is now asking for earmarks. It's amazing. This thing was a four-letter word. For people, oh, earmarks are horrible. Oh, you're bringing them back? I want one. <laughs> exactly. So... Um, there is, you know, the only people who can ask are local governments and nonprofits, and there are other limitations uh, on them too, and they have to be very transparent in terms of where they're posted, all that sort of stuff. Right. So, um, you know, we'll see how it works. But uh, more than half of the House and more than half of the Senate members have never dealt with earmarks, so it's going to be a little rocky in the start. I think. Well, earmarks, you know, from from what I know, signaled corruption. Right, and that, that there was something wrong. And, and I've learned that that's not necessarily the case. No, we functioned for a lot of years uh, with earmarks uh, without any corruption at all. In fact, corruption is illegal. That is, you buy, you know, you say, say somebody, oh, I'll give you a campaign contribution if you will get me some defense money. Right. Uh, that's what got people in trouble. A couple of people, they landed in jail. Then Congress got scared and said, oh, that's horrible. We have to stop all this business, so we cut uh, ourselves out. So they only amounted to one or one and a half percent of total spending. And nevertheless, Congress turned that money all over to the administration. To have earmarks doesn't mean you spend more. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that out of the total spending, one percent is taken for earmarks. So let's see what happens. Before, it seemed like Congress was kind of abusing the power of earmarks, and now it's almost the flip side where the people requesting the local governments are looking to take advantage of that process. Yeah, I mean, some of the things yeah, that Congress, I've seen... Congress isn't going to let it happen this time. Yeah, no. I mean, the, the rules are too strict. No, I mean, people are not going to be asking for teapot museums and things like that. Go and Google that, and you'll find that that was one of the requests that got some attention. But, you know, there's stuff that uh, most committees need, and what happens is... Certainly in smaller communities, like the folks that we represent, um, they don't get as many grants on the competitive process 
they're really not able to deal with all the paperwork, all the all of the other th stuff they have to do. It's really heavy burden. So members of Congress get a chance to put some of those requests in. Now, the real importance of earmarks is that members of Congress only get to request, I think on the House side, it's a total of 10 requests they can make. That means that they have to make, and there are 12 appropriation bills. So they're going to have to decide what they want to request. And they may actually have to talk to members of the Appropriation Committee if that member of Congress who's making the request is not a member of the Appropriation Committee and say, hey, I need your help. That means that members work with each other. My hope is, I don't think it's going to happen right in the first year. I do think it's going to happen that over time, members will start talking with each other again across party lines, across districts, and are going to be able to say, I need your help. I'd like to be able to get this sewer system, some money for the sewer system, installed. And so that works uh, very nicely. Again, it's transparent. If a member has to request it, they have to explain why they're requesting it. Um, who's requested it, how much is requested, guarantee that they've received no payments, et cetera. In return for that, it goes up on a website, and then the next website's on the Appropriations Committee, which says all the earmark requests that it's received from members, and then they decide which ones they're going to pick. So you'll all know what's going on, and newspaper articles will be written that some are better than others. That's true. You know, or some sound better than others. That's always going to be the case, even with competitive grants. Used to be a couple of members of Congress that would have, I forget what they call it, but it was always the kind of, you know, the, the, the pick to click, which was always a, a kind of thing, because it was always something like a grant to research um, how many species of ants there are. And the answer to that is over 15,000. I was just reading an article on that. <laughs> And nobody even knows the answer to it, you know, a real answer. So, but, you know, it would be something like that. And they say, well, well, that's a waste of taxpayer money. Well, you get to choose. And if you're an elected official and you're choosing earmarks, then you can say, oh, I don't like that. I'm not going to vote for this entire bill because I don't want the ant earmark to be in there. You do that at your own peril. Hopefully you didn't ask for anything that was in that bill. Well, the best earmark you can always get would be an earmark in the president's budget. Yes, and the president for the Corps of Engineers earmarks. It's probably the only agency plus, uh, other than the Bureau of Reclamation, which also the president uh, earmarks. And those of you in the western states uh, listening to us know about the Bureau of Reclamation. They do work that's similar to the Corps. And so the president has earmarks for the Corps of Engineers. He's going to have them anyway. He always has always continue to have one Congress prohibit itself from uh, earmarking. So best ways, the best ones to get are presidential earmarks. Uh, and we'll get to that a little bit later in Beach and Irishman when we talk about that. So I think it, right now, since we're already talking about budgeting and earmarks, let's talk about infrastructure for a moment, because there was a recent decision by the Senate parliamentarian, which is in essence the referee um, for how, for, for decisions. And, um, you know, how bills are interpreted or what, what rules the, the uh, Democratic side can use. Um, why don't you talk about that decision and how that may impact infrastructure decisions moving forward? Yeah, you'll hear the term uh, budget reconciliation. The budget reconciliation is a very complicated process, but the bottom line is that the Democrats already used 
budget reconciliation to pass the COVID response bill uh, earlier this year. And the parliamentarian just ruled that they can use the budget resolution a second time. Um, basically, a budget resolution is something where the Senate agreed to what its budget would be for the current fiscal year. And they used the COVID bill as an amendment to that. It means that you only have to get 50 votes, or 51 votes, rather, a majority of the Senate, rather than allowing a filibuster which requires 60 votes. So Democrats could move ahead with that Democrat-only infrastructure bill if they wanted to. Doesn't mean that the infrastructure bill that you're reading about in the paper that uh, President Biden has proposed is the infrastructure bill. We haven't seen any language yet. Democrats have yet to propose language. They're going to have differences. They're going to, it's going to take, I don't know, Speaker Pelosi said she wanted to have this passed by July 4th. I would be very surprised. And whatever's passed by July 4th is going to be changed. There's going to be a fall bill, my prediction, at best. And that's going to impact some appropriations things that we're going to be talking about in a moment, too. But it means that the Democrats can go ahead and find 51 votes amongst themselves, because they've got that with the vice president voting to break a tie. Uh, they can come up with a bill that includes infrastructure and tax increases to pay for infrastructure. So that's what budget reconciliation means. We can get 51 votes to pass. We don't need 60. They can't be filibustered. It can be argued. It will be debated on the floor. It can be amended on the floor. It can't be earmarked on the floor. You can't get your favorite project earmarked in the infrastructure bill. We'll find out how that works later as we find out what the bill is in, what's in the bill, rather. But we, yeah, we've got so a couple things to keep your eye out for in about late May. We're looking for President uh, Biden's full budget. There's supposed to be a skinny budget out, but I still haven't seen it. No, it's kind of interesting. Skinny budget, which uh, President Trump uh, used the skinny budget for his budget, started out saying, here's my overall objectives for how I want to make America great. You know, And so President Biden, we assume, was going to you know, build back better or whatever it's going to be. It was just going to be a short budget with an overview. And that was supposed to come out last week, Thursday or Friday. It didn't. Right. There hasn't been a word about it that I have seen at all. Yeah. There's something going on, and I'm not quite sure why. But we're certainly waiting on a detailed budget at the end of May. Mm -hmm. So skinny budget out, hopefully in the next, let's look, you know, hopefully by the end of this week. If not, uh, full budget out by May. Can hope, but as you said, Howard, you know, likely, likely more towards fall an infrastructure bill to be at least introduced. Well, I think we can get the infrastructure bill introduced before then, but I don't think we can get it passed. Okay. Uh, certainly not pass the Senate before then. There's a lot of discussion going on about what ought to be in it, uh, what's in it right now. You know, if you're looking at infrastructure itself, roads and bridges, 115 billion, um, electric vehicles, 174 billion, affordable housing, 213 billion. This is what the president's proposing. Uh, power grid and clean energy, 100 billion, public transit, 85, and so forth and so on. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, what might be there for water, uh, I would look at more the drinking water and clean water kinds of things to be in there, uh, not um, and maybe some ports and inland waterways. Transit, in essence. How is uh, commerce moving? And they look at commerce and inland waterways and may put some uh, money in for that. Beyond that, 
uh, I would not expect anything for coastal resilience to be in there. And so that would be around the fall, and that also brings us right up against the end of the fiscal year uh, in the end of September. So when we look at expecting a work plan, I would guess probably November, December again, the same way that we were. If we're lucky. And, and, you know, I'm beginning to think about this more and more in terms of what can Congress do? If they've used budget reconciliation to pass COVID, the COVID bill, and if they use budget reconciliation to pass this infrastructure bill, which incidentally was a first of a two-part bill, we haven't seen the second part, which was not infrastructure, it's having to do more with social services and the like. We haven't seen a peep about that yet. How are they even going to get to appropriations? Because we're spending a lot of money outside of the regular appropriations process. The appropriations committees are going to have to be involved in how that's spent. I don't know they're going to even have time. And there may not be a willingness on the part of Republicans in the Senate to want to have a regular appropriations process. Uh, what does that mean? Well, certainly, as you said, it's going to be fall before we could have anything possibly as an appropriation bill. More likely, I think we're going to have continuing resolution going to, at best, December, and Lord knows, maybe well into next year. Uh, that'll be messy. Don't like it, but uh, that may be coming. Well, let's take a break and jump over to another interesting issue uh, that we've both been tracking in North Carolina. Now, there's two, two things I want to talk about here. The first one um, is that a few North Carolina beaches have been finding their way into the news lately based on an apparent mix-up with the Corps and Congress. Uh, we don't really see it as a mix-up, so, but let's just stick to the facts here, um, especially for any North Carolinians listening. Um, the Wrightsville and Carolina Curry projects were authorized in the Water Resources Development Act. However, they were not funded, and that's an important—it's—it's uh, it's an important distinction to make because WERDA, Water Resource Development Act, is an authorizing piece of legislation, not a—it's not an appropriations bill. So, uh, Congress and the Corps—you um, know—they do this authorization then appropriations process slowly, but it's—it's it's deliberate. It's done for a reason. Um, yeah, WERDA was passed. Actually, at the same time as appropriations, but the way the core works, there well, was well. The bill was really already put together over the summer. Well, in terms of the work plan, mm -hmm. yes, word, you're absolutely yeah, right, yeah. partner. That that bill was actually done summertime, so word of was passed by the House, never got passed by the Senate, but Senate committee had passed it by summertime, and then it just sat there. Appropriations also moved in the House by fall, never passed the Senate. Uh, but Senate committee had acted on all 12 appropriation bills. Then in December, uh, around Christmas time, uh, came this giant omnibus, I forget what we called it, but I think yeah. it was an omnibus, omnibus bill. And so what happened there was it included the appropriations, but it also included WERDA and other things. Now, for the core appropriations, only mean that they get another 60 days past the appropriations bill to put out their work plan. And so the work plan came out actually less than 60 days, about 30 days after, less than that. Came out in January. And so the folks in North Carolina got a little confused. They said, oh, we got authorized in WERDA. 
and that you know, everybody put out an announcement, I guess congressional offices, core putting out announcements, whoever they were, saying, well, you know, these two projects got X million dollars authorized. Nobody paid attention to the meaning of the word authorized. It's very simple. It gives you the right to ask for money. The other thing they had been put together before it was released was the core work plan. Released early in January rather than 60 days later because it had already been put together. Needed a few details, worked out with the fine folks at the Office of Management and Budget, and so it was released uh, a day before the, uh, the inauguration, as I recall. So it had already been done before order was done. So there was no chance of asking for that to be appropriated. So folks got very confused. There were a lot of articles in the newspaper, a lot of local officials uh, very annoyed. Uh, it's a misunderstanding. I'm sorry that that happened, but it's not our fault. People need to understand what actually happened and look at the words. I mean, misleading, yeah, misleading press releases come out far more often than people think. Yeah, I, I'm afraid that's true. Of, uh, and you know, I, I mean, I'm using the word misleading because it's not that they're, in, you know. It, they're not intentionally it, misleading. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Members of Congress have a right to be proud of the things that they asked for and got in bills. But at the same time, they have to understand that there is a repercussion for that, uh, which happens, that people are reading, and then other people are writing articles from that. And the people who write articles, believe me, have no idea what the congressional process is. So, you know, they quickly say, oh, so-and-so got, you know, X million dollars. And in fact, they only got it authorized. Usually, yeah, it, 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 what the language uses says is authorized for a certain amount of money. Yeah. For example, a 50-year beach nursing project might be authorized for $150 million. Yeah, sounds Of course, big. that's going to be expended over the next 50 years. But anyway, bottom line, the project is authorized. It's just awaiting funding. Yeah, and they'll have a chance to, uh, to get that in the next, uh, you know, I don't know whether there's going to be a work plan. Of course, we don't know whether there's going to be even a budget. <laughs> so, but at least they have a chance to be in that budget if it's there. Right. And then another issue in North Carolina, the town of Avon is facing enormous property tax hikes in order to pay for its main road from washing away. And in some cases, the town wants to raise property taxes uh, by nearly 50% in some areas. Uh, you know, that's something that is happening. Uh, also, another one in North Carolina, North Topsail, I read just the other day. Um, if they don't get assistance from the county, uh, they do have a federally authorized project. There's funding for it that they got in one of the uh, supplemental disaster appropriations bills. But they do have to come up with their non-federal share. And uh, they're talking about doubling property taxes. I've read this in other communities as well. Somebody has to pay for resilience. It is not always going to be Uncle Sam. There is just not enough money available in the federal government to pay for it. It's not always going to be your state government. And I think it was the town manager in Avon who said, um, if it wasn't in Avon, I apologize. It was somewhere else in that area of North Carolina. I was in, Duck, uh, in, in Dare County. He said, you know, nobody's going to come save us. We're going to have to do this ourselves. So communities are going to be facing some very difficult decisions about how they're going to save themselves. 
because getting new federal projects, very hard, you know, if not impossible. Getting funding for new projects, very hard. Getting funding for existing projects, wow, we've seen that problem coming now. And that leads us right into our next topic, which is national beach nourishment funding. And the reason I want to bring this one up is because we keep records of what we call shore protection funding, which includes core programs and projects. But when we look at just projects, so just beach nourishment projects, a few that have, uh, well, we track investigations and construction and construction and a little bit of O&M, but beach nourishment projects are ongoing construction. So really, that's the figure that I'm looking at, which is the ongoing construction for each year in the work plan. And over the past decade, there's only been one year where I think there was maybe 80 or 90 million, and that was a strange year. For the most part, every year has received about 50 million in construction funds for beach nourishment projects. That's exactly right. That, that 90 million was, oddly enough, I think around the turn of the century, literally, and we haven't been seeing those numbers at all since. Across administrations, doesn't make any difference. So it's a real problem because what's the kind of need right now? Well, the need is from just the, the baseline need from what's scheduled in FY22 plus the backlog projects, which are the FY21 projects or before that weren't funded, in addition to new starts and new and other requests that are also seeking money. Just the scheduled request is 100, about $117 million. Add on the additional projects that are also going to be seeking funding. Not scheduled, but we'll be seeking funding, and we're up to about $150 million. Now, Congress has only appropriated roughly $50 million in the past decade annually. Yeah, so that's one-third for those of us like me who are challenged, you know, sort of look at it as one-third or less than a third of the, of the needs. And, you know, this is something now that is coming to haunt us because some of this need is driven by Sandy projects that got built totally on the federal dime or they got nursed the second time or a subsequent time, totally on a federal dime. Now they're coming up for renourishment. And we aren't even factoring in the Florida projects that got money from post-Sandy supplementals that are gonna be asking for money. That's why we think it might be up to 150 million. So, you know, when you look at it, um, this is something where if you don't get the president's budget last year was next to nothing with presidential earmarks of projects for shore protection, was beach zero. nourishment. Zero. Yeah. So when you start with zero or you start with 20 and Congress can only, last year, in essence, Congress added roughly 50 million. So if that's the limit, and that's been pretty much the limit, of what we've seen Congress being able to add in terms of adding money to put sand on beaches. If that is their limit this year, this, for the next fiscal year, then we're in trouble. Serious yeah, and trouble. Just, I, I always love to put things in context because one of the most common things that we hear is that beach nourishment is a waste. Yeah. Millions, when we're talking trillions of dollars, millions is Zippo. It is less than pennies. This, you know, if we look at uh, the, the, what it costs to, cost, uh, to put in a new highway, uh, interstate highway overchange, uh, interchange, I guess is the proper term for that. It costs as much to do that as it does to do all of the nourished beaches in the United States. It's amazing. 
So when you look at that, just put it into perspective. Those beaches, yes, they have people who are enjoying the beaches. That's great, and their folks are surfing off of them, fishing off of them, doing all those things. But they are preventing damages. The only reason we do it at the federal level is the benefit-cost ratio, the damages avoided, the damages prevented. They far exceed that $50 million that we're investing. We have to be able to invest double that, triple that. And there may come a time where the economics don't work out. Yes. But right now they do. And I just want to... Yeah. No, it's very possible that uh, there, there's some issues there that we're going to be discussing as a, down the road. Um, because the way that beach, the benefit-cost ratio is determined is kind of wacko. But having said that, it is the way it's determined. And therefore, they, they, they meet the ones that are looking for money. They're authorized by Congress. They're... They've passed through even the folks at the Office of Management and Budget, at least in their initial construction. There's just not enough money to, uh, to nurse them all. So unless the president puts in something better than zero and significantly better than zero, there's going to be a lot of trouble, a lot of hurting communities saying, where's my money? And just to put the cherry on top, if, as Howard mentioned with the other projects in Florida, if we don't get the funding this year in FY22 or FY23, the need is going to likely double, if not triple, plus dredge demand, sediment availability. I mean, dredges are at their highest demand that they've ever been. Yeah. Um, there's, I know there have been a couple of new dredges uh, added to the fleet that are capable, at least one I can think of that's capable of uh, doing beach nourishment work. But when you have... This kind of demand, plus you have environmental windows that mean that, in essence, the price for being able to get that dredge in place has already gone up significantly, and it will go up even more so as the demand increases. So do understand that um, there's going to be trouble down the road one way or the other. The issue is, can we mitigate the amount of trouble? by getting more into the president's budget and having more organized. I'm just not seeing any organized effort. The, the trouble will end up for local governments. I mean, the trouble is not for the federal government. Exactly. No trouble at all for the federal government to say no. It's been no trouble, except because they then put out the money in post-disaster funding. It, it comes out. We haven't even had a post-disaster bill for all the storms and the floods last year. We're going to have to deal with that at some point. And, and they will put the money out post-disaster. And they'll all complain about it at the federal level, say, oh, we can't do that again, and they'll do it again. But they will not, in the regular budgeting process, unless there is a more organized effort, a more outspoken effort on the part of local communities to get that funding into the president's budget and to push for Congress to add as much as it possibly can to that funding. So the last thing we want to get to are new changes to the National Flood Insurance Program. Uh, new flood insurance premiums will take effect on October 1st, 2021 um, for new policies and April 1st, 2022 uh, for the rest of existing policies. Um, new premiums will be based on a property's value, risk of flooding, and other factors rather than simply on a property's elevation in a flood zone. FEMA says its risk analysis will make policies and costs more equitable. However, other experts say the NFIP is basically a subsidy. 
This is risk rating 2.0. And there's been a lot of talk about it. There is now going to be a huge amount of talk. Some people are going to see increases in rates. Those with lower value properties will see decreases, according to FEMA at least. Uh, talk to your local insurance agent who's got your policy and have him or her explain what they think is going to be the impact on your, uh, on your premiums. But do know that one way or another, this is designed to take that criticism of NFIP not being, well, being, as you said, partner, a subsidy. Here it's trying to make it more attuned to the actual risk involved. And FEMA's doing at least a yeoman's job of trying. Whether that's something that we like or don't like, I'm not saying, because I really don't understand how that's going to impact folks yet. But I do think it's better that it be more attuned to what the actual risk is. What happens along the coast is that it's such a nice place to live, to do business, uh, to work, to recreate, that people take it for granted. And so it's hard to communicate and say, oh, you remember the flood of 2012 or something like that? Oh, yeah, that was a bad one. And then they talk about it as if, you know, they were talking about when they were last out duck hunting or something like that. Um, the fact is that we need to be able to communicate risk better and probably NF the risk rating 2.0 is a better way to do that. It's not the only way to do it, but it is a better way. There will be people who are happy and I'm sure people who are unhappy. Um, That's the way life goes. Yeah, but it is opening day for the oh, Nationals. Yes, go Nats, finally. A little delayed. Yes, because of the nasty virus. Uh, I think we're the only team in the league that had that honor but of uh, being delayed. But nevertheless, go Nats. We're going to be watching late this afternoon, this evening, and watching you uh, coming back from for another World Series win. Get vaccinated, stay healthy, enjoy the spring, and we'll be back with you guys in May. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.